Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of CodeNewbie. I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. Today, we're reading section 3.7 of 99 Bottles by Sandy Metz and Katrina Owen. It's called Converging on Abstractions. And then we're going to look at the summary to chapter three. And remember that you can follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club and check out rubybookclub.com to follow along. So Nadia, how did you find the reading this week? So the reading this week was a very detailed walkthrough of a refactoring. And I found it interesting because I wasn't sure exactly where Sandy and Katrina were going with it. Mm -hmm. In particular, they approach it in a way that I would never think of approaching. And they they stop at certain points and say, now, what would you do at this point? And there were times when I was like, actually, I'm not sure. So that that (laughs) was very interesting. I felt like I was reading a story. What about you? That's how I felt as well. But at the end, I thought we would end up in a more ooh type of place. You know, I don't want to give it away too much. But at the end, when I looked at the final solution, I thought, oh, well, that's not that's not too far off from what I had in mind. And so hmm. I was it, it just it didn't end up the way I expected. OK, so shall we explore it then? Let's do it. Okay, so the first sentence of section 3.7 called Converging on Abstractions says, the flocking rules are so atomic and so general that they may not yet inspire confidence. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was pretty funny because I didn't even understand the flocking rules (laughs) (laughs) in terms of the the ones where it's like, here's how you change code. And so, yeah, I was like, definitely not confident right now in how to use them. (laughs) Yes. Should we review what the flocking rules were? Yes, good idea. So the flocking rules are, number one, select the things that are most alike. Number two, find the smallest difference between them. And number three, make the simplest change that will remove that difference. And it's this bit afterwards that I got confused about, which was how you make changes to code and all the steps around parsing code, parsing and executing it, parsing and executing and using its results or deleting unused code. And so I was a bit like, huh, it's going to be interesting to see those those steps in action. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so the first thing that it says in the flocking rule is select the things that are most alike. And so the next part of 3.7, which is 3.7.1, focusing on difference, goes into dry, which is a theme that we keep coming back to over and over again in this book. And it specifically says that drying out sameness can be valuable, but drying out differences is even more valuable. And I, I thought that was really interesting because I think when we talk about don't repeat yourself, we are not repeating ourselves by collecting all the things that are the same and putting them under one umbrella. And so this idea of drying by instead focusing on differences felt a little unintuitive. I see what you mean, because you're trying to find things that are the same. But it makes the acronym dry make more sense in a way, because it's like almost cleaning it up or like drying it to, you know, wiping away that difference to make it, to make <laughs> it clearer. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, less, less, you know, less colorful, just more straightforward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. And, and I was reading about this and this idea that it's the difference that holds the key to the, you know, the interesting abstractions and the understandings. And also it's all about trying to hunt for them in the sense of like this is giving you a way to hunt for abstractions because we've had a lot on 
you know, finding the right abstractions, but where do we begin? And so it was a good starting point in terms of thinking about, ah, okay, so I'm looking for things that are different. But at this point, I'm still like, what kind of difference are we talking about? So I'm still not sure yet where they're going with this. Yes, And also, I'm not thinking it's going to be bottle and bottles because I already feel like that's distracting. That's, that's pluralization. <laughs> so I'm literally like, oh my gosh, what is the difference going to be? <laughs> yes. And I think, you know, one of the things that I, I I just had a hard time with at this point in this section is the fact that when I think about the 99 bottles of beer song, every verse seems the same to me. You know, there, mm-hmm. there is no kind of fundamental difference between the verses. And so this idea of finding out the difference, in my, the back of my mind, I was thinking, but there isn't one. Like, there isn't a fundamental, you know, there's a difference in terms of a letter, but there isn't like a fundamental conceptual difference. And so I had to kind of shut that part down in my brain so I could continue with uh, with this section. Right. So verse two is the first unique case that we have and it says here that the only real difference between the two and else cases is the word bottle versus the word bottles Mm -hmm. so it feels like such a (laughs) (laughs) i was trying to think outside the box and be like oh what's it gonna be i had no idea couldn't wait and then it was like oh you're tricking me sandy and katrina Mm -hmm. told me not to look there Yes. And so, you know, I I feel like they tease us a little bit further with 3.7.2, where it says that the bottle bottles difference, however, is much more interesting. And I thought, is it? Is it really much more interesting? Okay, I guess I guess I'm yeah, I'm here for the rides. I'm going to just follow along and be open minded. But yeah, I was I was surprised that that's where we were going with this. Yeah, there is a really interesting bit at the end of section 3.7.2, where they talk about easy problems versus hard problems. And the fact that as programmers, we're always trying to find those hard problems. And I also think another thing that we often do as well is when something goes wrong, we assume it's really hard and tricky. Mm -hmm. But really, we should just try and focus on the easy things. And when you do that, the things that you thought were hard actually become easy as well. And so... Yeah, I think that's actually a good lesson to take away, which is what's the easiest, simplest thing that this could be? Or what's the easiest, simplest thing that I could start with before Mm -hmm. I get lost in the weeds? Yep. And so given that we're focusing on doing the easiest thing first, and we're now trying to eliminate the difference between verse two and the default else case, the first thing that we do is reading from left to right. The first difference that we see is that we've got two bottles of beer on the wall, two bottles of beer, whereas the other case reads number, the variable number interpolated into the string, number bottles of beer on the wall, number bottles of beer. And so just to start to eliminate the difference, we can replace two with number. That still works. Mm -hmm. And also, we can also replace one on line five where it says one bottle of beer on the wall, and this is listing 3.6, replace hard-coded number. We can replace the one with number minus one. Yes. And so now the the difference that we spoke about of bottle versus bottles is the only stark difference remaining between the two verses. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so at this point, I was really excited because I thought, okay, okay, this is the same logic. I went down the very first time we looked at this code and we had to solve this problem before we really got into this book. So now what are Sandy and Katrina going to do that is, you know, what are they going to do that's different from what I did? And so in 3.7.3, naming concepts, we focus in on the only remaining difference, which is bottle and bottles. And here they ask a a pretty big question, which is that it's time to decide what bottle and bottles represent. So the question is, 
what does it represent in the context of the song? And so when you read that, Nadia, what was your what was your kind of initial reaction to that? Okay, given that there'd been a whole section before about, you know, focusing on the fact that it's it's the beverage, you can't call it bottles or pluralization because that's focusing on the wrong abstraction. I honestly didn't know what it was going to be. I, yeah. I honestly was like, I can't wait to see what this is going to be because I, I must be missing something. I must not be smart enough because I don't know what, <laughs> how else, what this abstraction is going to be. And I was very excited to find out what it was going to be. Yes. Okay. So you're much smarter than I am because I read that and I went, ha ha, <laughs> pluralization is back, baby. And then, the, <laughs> and then the next paragraph is the underlying concept is not pluralization. I was like, oh, darn it. So good job. Yeah. So then we explore what the, what the abstraction might be. And this boils down to essentially what the name of the concept that bottle, bottles, and also six pack, because that's what we're going to introduce, represent. And so the first option that we're given is unit. And it said, well, that's really abstract. That's too abstract. It's too abstract, yeah. Yeah, it's too too abstract. And I also just think it doesn't fit anyway. Like, mm-hmm. it, well, I guess it does kind of fit. It's just, are you talking in six packs? Are you talking in bottles? I guess it does fit, but it doesn't seem right anyway. And, and as Sandy Katrina say, it's not in the language of the domain. You know, it's not, it doesn't fit in with the kind of stuff that we're talking about. So, no. And so then it's sort of like, oh, yeah, naming things is hard before. So, okay, let me let me put this question to you, Saron. Yes. If someone comes up to you and says, what kind of thing is a bottle? What do you think you'd say? What kind of thing is a bottle? A beverage holder? <laughs> yeah. I guess a, a beverage holder, a... A vestibule? A package. Maybe a pack because I can imagine if you're working on the design of the can or the design of the bottle, like you're working on packaging. So like something like package might make sense. Um, I really want to call it like a like a cup, but that's yeah, that's just another type of thing. Yeah, I'm not sure. What about you? Yeah, I I mean I don't really have much better than beverage holder there is a fancy word beginning with v that i'm trying to remember which is like a fancy way of talking about a container it's not vessel it's something else um but but yeah so i all all i knew is i'm not sure i would have said container yes which is the answer they they came up with and even when i think about my examples of you know a beverage holder or any others it you know basically that's just another word for container but when i hear the word container number one i think of docker so that's that's not helpful (laughs) docker has won (laughs) so that just ruined it but then also when i think of container i think of the thing that holds the bottles like i don't think of the thing that holds the beer itself so when i read that i kind of went uh that that didn't that didn't really click for me like it it makes sense given that i can't think of anything better but i also just have a, a different i don't i don't think of beverages being contained in bottles i think of bottles being in containers if that makes sense yeah i think that makes sense you mean like bottles being crates exactly like when i think of okay. container i think of more of like a crate or a box, Your box. or yeah, yeah, yeah something like that yeah yeah it's funny because when i look at it it seems obvious yes a bottle contains drink but again i think of yeah that's not where my mind went yep exactly so but that's what that's what we're doing we are we're pressing forward with container <laughs> and so 
in section 3.7.4 called making methodical transformations you know we're warned against trying to make all of the changes in one go which would be you know as shown in listing 3.8 defining the container method passing it a number and then writing if number equals equals one put bottle else put bottles and then interpolating into the uh, verse the default case number minus one as the first interpolated argument and then container with number minus one of beer on the wall and that would cover all the cases Mm -hmm. but you know that introduces seven lines of code and so what Sandy Katrina say here is that by doing that if you make a mistake you then have to sort of go back and unpick everything you don't know where that mistake has been introduced and so it's far better to go step by step so that each at each point you know everything's still working and you don't have to you don't you avoid just getting stuck in a big mess and one thing i appreciated about that section is when i looked at the idea of having a container method it felt like one change like it just it just felt like because there's one concept that we're changing right we're we're removing this idea of bottle and bottles and replacing it with container so in my mind it felt like one one move and i appreciate them saying, well, actually, it's seven new lines of code, changes two existing ones, alters code in three different places. Like it really laid out, even though it feels like it's one idea that we're changing, that idea actually comes with a lot of different things that are happening, a lot of different changes. So it was it was nice to be kind of reminded of the line by line impact of the change we're about to make. Right. And, and they say, making a slew of simultaneous changes is not refactoring, it's rehactoring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> and um, some of the, the interesting things about when you do the step-by-step form of factoring is that obviously we're dealing with a very contrived small problem, but when you're working on code bases at work, you know, you want to be able to push your code to production at any point. And also there's this thing called the bus factor, which actually we talk about a lot when we think about the way that um, Pivotal does their software with rotating pairs and making sure that everyone sees different parts of the code base and also making incremental changes because it means that the bus factor is essentially how many people can be afford to be hit by a bus (laughs) and Mm -hmm, you can mm -hmm. still have people available to work on your code base and essentially you want that to be higher because that means that there's less there are fewer knowledge silos. Mm -hmm. And so if you're always making incremental step-by-step changes, it's very easy for other people to jump on to the project and to just pick up where you left off. Whereas if you start down this massive train of changes and you're hit by a bus, then uh uh-oh, you screwed (laughs) over the whole team. Yes. Also, don't get hit by buses. Yeah, ideally, no. And so this is where our flocking rules come in handy because they help give us a process and step-by-step guidelines that we're not rehactoring, we are refactoring. So we did step one because we chose the things that are most alike. We did step two, we found the smallest difference between them. And so now we're on step three, make the simplest change to remove that difference. And so here we've done a little bit of that. We refactored two to be the number interpolation. So now we're going to keep going with that. And so the first step that we have here is to create an empty container method. And so we just add def container end. And now that we have that empty method, we can run our tests. Right. And so you might think 
and say, why would I run the tests here? Obviously, nothing's going to break. All I've done is add def container end, an empty method. But this is all about getting into that habit of making the smallest change and just check just for, you know, sanity's sake that you haven't broken anything. Mm-hmm. So after we confirm that just adding the empty container method doesn't do anything, let's have it return something. Because at the moment it returns nil. So we want it to return bottle or bottles so that we can start using it. And it makes sense that we make it return the default case. And so in listing 3.11, we have our sparse container method and we just put in the word bottles. And inside the else clause of our conditional, we can see in listing 3.12, we change bottles to an interpolation of the container method. So we know that the whole point of having our container method is so we can figure out whether we should return bottle or bottles or six pack or whatever the right word is. And so that decision is dependent on what number we're dealing with. And so we know that it has to take some type of an argument. And right now our container method doesn't take anything. So what we can do is we can basically give it an argument. We can give it an argument of number. But when we run our tests, we end up with an argument error because we're not actually using this argument anywhere. And so I found this this whole little problem to be very interesting because adding an argument doesn't feel like a big deal. Like it doesn't it doesn't feel like a a deal breaker by any means. But if we're truly refactoring, that our tests should always be passing. And so even just adding an argument, the fact that it'll immediately break our test and we'll get an argument error tells us that we're going too fast. Now, this is a bit that stuck out for me because if I was doing this development, I could see myself adding the argument number and then seeing that test fail and saying wrong number of arguments zero for one and then going to the code and calling it with the argument. So I would just accept that failure and use that to guide me to make the next change as opposed to being like, oh no, I can't ever have the test failing. So I thought that was quite interesting. Yes. And so in 3.7.5, refactoring gradually, we are reminded that in order to refactor gradually, we have to make sure all of our tests are passing at every point. And the way that we can do that while having an argument is to have a default argument. And it's interesting because here the default argument says colon fix me, which I've never (laughs) seen before. I thought that was pretty cool. As in the symbol? No, as in the fact that it says fix me, because usually Uh I would like default to nil or really almost anything else but it was just really cute that it was the symbol that says fix me yeah because it's, it's cool because it also serves it helps you keep your test green but then it serves as a reminder that you need to sort this out later mm-hmm. yep exactly so the next thing is that we have a choice we've put in this default argument so now either we can change container to actually check the value of number and then return bottle or bottles or we can change the else branch in the code to add the number argument to container. So i.e. the sender is now taking a number argument. Mm -hmm. So in order to make this decision, if we were to change the sender, so changing the else branch, it wouldn't actually progress us forward because the container method does nothing with number. And so it makes more sense to first change the container method to, to understand what number is or to know how to use it. And so in listing 3.14, we add that conditional where it says, if number is equal to one, return bottle, else return bottles. Mm -hmm. And changing this to a 
conditional, Sandy Katrina say that this is a mini example of the open close principle. And I wasn't quite sure exactly how it was, but they say that essentially what you're doing is you're making the method, the, the container method open to a new requirement. And I guess that requirement is at the moment only returns bottles, but now you're making it open to returning bottle too in certain circumstances. But I guess it, I guess it was interesting because with open close, it's all about first of all refactoring the code and then extending it. And I felt like this was we're doing a refactoring, but we're also extending the functionality of this container method. Uh, maybe I'm getting confused about it. Yeah, it, it felt like we're kind of doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and even right before that, it talks about how uh, we're we're kind of breaking the rules a little bit because we're not doing one line. We're not changing one line at a time. We're actually doing a multi-line change. But the argument for that is, well, if we had done it in the ternary form, it would have been a single line change. Uh, so it's basically the same thing, which felt, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> and so, yeah, like this definitely feels like a, a much bigger step than, for example, adding a default argument the way we did before. Mm-hmm. So... When we now change line 12, this is in listing 3.16. When we now change line 12 for the container method to take the argument of number minus one, it doesn't change. So the, the code was passing before because the container method was saying, well, I don't have number equals one because there is numbers not set, it's fix me. And so it's going to else and returning bottles. But so that's almost like correct, like passively correctly working. Whereas when we now in line 12 add the number minus one argument, it's now actively saying, okay, mm -hmm. number is something else. It's not one. And so I'm returning bottles. Mm -hmm. And yep. so we're properly, we're not using that default argument anymore. We're using something that's been passed in. Right. Which means that now we can remove that default argument and now just have number. Yes. And not just that, we can also do something else straight after. Because now what we could also do is change that to branch to have number minus one and then container number minus one of beer on the wall. Because now we've got if number equals one return bottle. Yes. So not only have we got rid of this fix me, we have just made verse two and the else clause identical. Yep. And so now our verse method that originally had four conditions, it had our one zero, one one, one two, and else. Now we can just get rid of that one two and only have three different branches. Amazing. And so I'm just looking at listing 3.17, mm -hmm. where we see, you know, the new code. And next to that, they've got all the steps that we went through to get to making verse two and else the same. And now I'm looking at, you know, verse one, verse zero and first one, thinking we're obviously going to tackle those next. And I'm thinking, well, if I was following just, just a little quick, you know, guess into what the next step's going to be. And I'm thinking, so are we just going to now say, well, we've got no more and then we've got one. And is it going to be in trying to, what does no more versus one represent? Or is no more zero, but it's represented. Yeah. So I'm just interested to see how we're going to do this again with the, with the following two because yeah. is it just gonna, are we going to have more instances of container-like methods where the abstraction is that difference between things like no more or one and, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting because the other big difference is the, the 99 bottles part, right? So when we have no more bottles of beer, we go back up to 99 versus when we have one, we're still going down to zero. So... 
you know, there's a couple pretty big differences between zero and one. And I'm interested to see how we're going to collapse that into an abstraction. And then interestingly, after no more or one, the diff- the, the next difference is bottles and bottle again. So yep, I exactly. wonder how so that's going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. And so here we have an, a pretty long list of all the different actions that we took. And I think there are 15, oh my goodness, 15 different steps that we took, 12 of which involve changes to the code. And so when we look at this, it definitely feels like a lot. And even as I was reading through it, I kind of felt, oh man, this is taking forever. You know, we're just <laughs> kind of going this one teeny little step at a time. And the idea here is that Sandy and Katrina are trying to break it down as granularly as possible so that we understand and we're very purposeful about every single decision that we make. But the promise is that if you do this on your own, if you practice this enough, it'll actually be a lot faster and a lot more efficient. Right. In the long run, you won't get stuck in a big mess and wonder where you went wrong because the tests are always passing at every next little step. So if it suddenly goes red, you just undo the last change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I would love to see two groups of developers solve a problem as trivial as 99 bottles. It can't be 99 bottles, then everyone will just read the book and cheat. But as trivial as this and have them do this, you know, very, very step by step, the the Sandy and Katrina way of refactoring and then have the other group do just whatever they would normally do and see how the efficiency part actually plays out. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like with something like 99 bottles or any kata, you could probably survive if it's like in an afternoon or that sort of thing. It's like, yeah, we did this Mm -hmm. in like a much shorter time than you did. But it's when it's the long term months down the line where something really comes to bite you and you're just like, ah, no, I'm stuck. But -hmm. it's still an interesting exercise to see. Yeah, to, to look at that. Yeah. So for 3.8 for the summary, we talk about how a big part of improving our code is identifying and removing smells. And that a lot of times when we try to make decisions about making our code better and refactoring, it's hard to find that first step. And that code smells are a really great way to say, okay, this is gonna be my starting point. This is the, the problem I'm gonna tackle. Let's see where we can go from here. And so in this example, we use the flocking rules to identify those differences, turn them into samenesses, samenesses, (laughs) and in that way, we were able to discover some really nice abstractions. And I also want to point out that the whole reason we're doing this is because of that six pack, which honestly, (laughs) I've kind of forgotten about it. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) I totally forgot about it. And, uh, you know, and I was... I was reading uh, the pluralization part and I went, see, I, I knew I was I was right. This is totally going to be about pluralization. And then it wasn't at all. And then uh, it was brought up again that, you know, it could be bottle or bottles or six pack. And I went, oh, right. That's why we decided to abstract it at this point. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was it was a nice reminder that if we can pull out certain concepts and truths and beliefs about the code and if we do that we can better understand what the code is really saying what those differences are really about and that's what leads to abstracting the right thing versus abstracting for the sake of abstraction yes that makes sense that made perfect sense so in this episode we created a container method and we talked a lot about the different names that we could have used so we want to know what would you have called it tweet us your responses at ruby book club and tell us about how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project see you next week cheerio